uh, Mike, our host, isn't here today. Uh, we decided we would do something a little bit different rather than go for like, I don't know if, it's, if it is the grand finale, but rather than talk about Kelvin without Mike, we're going to do something a bit different and talk about baptism and Catholicism. Um, so this is going to be interesting. This is going to be interesting. Nick's done some reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've been reading the uh, Catholic Encyclopedia. Now, this is not the Catholic Catechism. It's not Vatican II, but it is a representative document where it's, I mean, I think I picked it up for $2 on, on Amazon, and it's just in alphabetical order, a dictionary of anything Catholic and anything Christian. And uh, I think my Amazon said it would take about an hour and a half to read this article on baptism. Right. So it's, it's, it's substantial. Right. Wow. That's big. Yeah, it is big. It didn't take so me what, that long to read the catechism section on baptism. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's, <laughs> I, I found it a lot more helpful than uh, even Trent, which is a lot more polemical. It's a lot of, you know, what we don't believe and what we're against and who's wrong. Right. This right. is very positive. So what this, what this does is it maps it out in 16 points. Mm -hmm. Okay. So shall I just jump straight in? Yeah, get in there. Cool. Well, it starts off with a statement with it, of the doctrine and it gives firstly a positive and then a negative. So uh, on the positive side, it quotes from a papal bull, the Exaltate Deo by Pope Eugene the Fourth, And here's a quick summary of, of the, the positive aspects. So the sacrament of baptism is said to be first, as it is the door to spiritual life. And by it, we are incorporated into the church. It is necessary in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The matter of the sacrament is natural water, hot or cold. The form is, I baptize thee in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Variations, though no deviations, are allowed in the formula. This constitutes true baptism for the principal cause is the effectiveness of the Trinity. The instrumental cause is the minister. The duty to baptize belongs to the priest by virtue of his office, but deacons, listen to it, laymen, women, even pagans and heathen can baptize if they observe the form of the church. Yeah, so now, there I read that in the Catechism as well. Yeah. yeah, so so what do you think about that? What's your take on that? Well, well let me finish reading the positive de definition. Okay, 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 okay. The effect of baptism is the remission of all sin, original and actual, and the removal of all punishment. To die before committing one sin after baptism, one will immediately attain to the vision of God. So that's a summary of the positive statement. And uh, basically what the rest of this chapter does is it really just unpacks a lot of those positive right, aspects. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So coming back to your question about the pagan and the heathen, I think what struck me, because I mean, that, that is a very surprising aspect, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's, what struck me is that if you have a ex opera operato approach, then it's 100% true then this, it's just 100% consistent with your starting point. That if it works in and of itself, because the way that they understand it is this, Christ, through the power of institution, said, do it this particular way. So if you do it the way that he said, it will work automatically by virtue of the power of his institution. Yeah. So yeah. you just get the words right, and you get it right. And so it's consistent with the way they're approaching the whole thing. So where we would, we would uh, talk about the instrumentality of faith for justification. They, they've got another way around that. So, the, but they're not in that section. They're not claiming that a, you know, um, a pagan, a total pagan baptizing another total pagan is going to make anyone a Christian. Are they? 
Uh, no. So in this instance, it would be like, let's say uh, you've got a midwife who happens to be a Jew. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's busy delivering a baby, but the baby is uh, in distress. Yeah. And so the midwife says the proper words with a view to baptizing that baby with intent to adding them to the church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It would be seen as a valid baptism and there would be no repetition of the baptism. Yeah. They would, so there's, there would be, uh, otherwise, unless, so let's say the baby was breached, it was turned around and only the arm came out. Mm-hmm. So you could baptize the arm of the baby. That would be a conditional baptism. So if the baby was born alive, it would have to be repeated. But if the baby died, the conditional baptism would be taken as the actual baptism, and then then it would stand. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So So, a couple of questions that follow on from that. The the one is that I was interested to learn, just as I was reading through the the catechism last night. I guess I did kind of know this, but it was interesting just to see again the emphasis in the catechism, how much uh, faith, is essential for for baptism so i don't know like that really surprised me the language of that the necessity of faith in baptism um so much so that i'm almost (laughs) i'm almost wondering you know like as i was reading it like am i getting confused am i am i reading the bit on you know from fesco's book or am i like some parts of it but then other parts of it like you say really emphasize this kind of ex opere operato thing and the priesthood thing and so it's See, interesting the whole, the whole thing with that. faith. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing with faith is, is it the faith of your sponsor? Yeah. Is it the faith of the church? Mm-hmm. Is it a seed faith that's given by the baptism? I mean, yes. What do you mean by faith? So, yes. That's so a good it's, question. It's, um, I, and in I the catechism, the ca- it, does, it does talk about faith is only possible within the faith of the church or something like that. So exactly. So, I mean, the, I found yeah. the catechism very unhelpful. Yeah, because it's 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 very wordy. It's using all the right words, but all the definitions are changed. It's like so, it's been written with a view to winning over Protestants. You know, it's, it is it's, it is it deliberately uses a lot of our language. Winning. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, let's read the negative statement. So, what what in this first portion? Yeah. Uh, so that's the positive. Now the negative, and the negative is taken from session seven of the Council of Trent on baptism. Yeah. And so these are the following doctrines regarding baptism that are deemed heretical. And that was the whole thing with Trent. It was a counter-reformation. It was responding yes. to the Reformation. It was yeah. saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. This is what the Catholic Church believes. So if you believe that the baptism of John had the same effectiveness as the baptism of Christ, you're a heretic. Mm-hmm. So that would mean all reformed people who would see uh, certain sacraments happening un- under the Old Testament as equally effective. Heretics. If you I say know, that, I don't know if that's. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Is that yeah. is that what it's getting at, or is it not just yeah. making so these, the same? The, so these statements are deliberately in response to the reformers. So the okay. Council of Trent is looking at Erasmus, Luther, Calvin, everyone, Anabaptists, and they're they're they're, they're basically just making all these antithetical statements to all their affirmations. Is so, that, so there's a whole I, bunch of them. when you were reading that, my first thought was to go to that bit where. Paul is talking to who is it? Is it Ephesus where they're, they're baptized with John's baptism, but they yeah. haven't been baptized into Christ. And so here's, here's it's the reason they have this view is something that Augustine said, Augustine said that because Christ hadn't yet risen from the dead, John's baptism couldn't have been effective. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when the baptism of, of repentance was issued, it wasn't grace coming through water that cleansed. It was the act of penance in the repentance that cleansed. So, that's, that's how Augustine got around it. And so this is just a statement in keeping with something that Augustine stressed. 
Okay. But are we not saying, you know, if you were around in the first century and you had both the baptism of John and the baptism of Christ, um, you know, operating, would you not say to someone who was baptized with the baptism of John that you, you need to get baptized into Christ? No, we wouldn't. Well, at least I wouldn't. So um, as, as my, my understanding of the baptism of John and the baptism of Christ is that John said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Mm -hmm. Jesus mm -hmm. said, repent for the kingdom is here. And uh, uh, repent to be baptized was also the message of the, the, the church in Acts. So there's a continuity between John and Jesus and uh, the early church. So that all of Christ's first disciples were John's disciples, and there isn't one record of him ever rebaptizing them. And in Acts 19, where we do see a record of uh, rebaptism, it's because they hadn't even heard of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So there was there was something that was lacking in their baptism, which merited a rebaptism. But ordinarily, we don't see any other instance of a rebaptizing of of uh, after John's baptism. Interesting. I, so I've always viewed it, I guess, slightly differently in the sense that John's baptism is, is a, you know, it doesn't quite fit into the, the kind of, um, you know, the, the kind of sacramental life of the Old Testament, because it, it is explicitly to say, I'm getting you ready for Christ. It's a baptism of repentance that prepares you for Christ. Yeah. But now the Christ here's, here's, here's the interesting thing for me is that while John is baptizing, John 3 verse uh, 22, mm -hmm. Christ is also baptizing side by side. Yeah. And Christ isn't saying stop baptizing John or don't listen to John anymore. No. It's, there's, there's a crossover period between the, the, the two dispensations, but they're, a, they're, they're able to coexist side by side. But isn't um, Christ's baptism at that point the same as John's baptism? I'd agree. Yeah. So it's only, it's only once Jesus has died and risen that there is, a, there is a, an issue, which is why the Paul thing is... For the Catholics. For the Baptists, I don't think there is the same issue. See, the, the, what, what they're disputing, see, they, they're, they're coming from their particular worldview, which says yeah. baptism works ex opere operato as the Holy Ghost cleanses you with uh, water and, and, and the Spirit, John 3, verse 3 to 5. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That couldn't have been John's baptism because Christ hadn't yet risen from the dead. Yeah. And so any baptism that happened before uh, the resurrection of Christ, even the, uh, the baptism that the disciples were uh, using is a washing of water, but not the spirit. And so they had all these other categories to try and account yeah, for I think what could the, and couldn't work at a particular time. I understand that um, with, with Catholicism, there's, they're coming at it from a slightly different angle, but mm. yeah. And so I guess the the issue would be more with the with the reasons for the argument and for the argument itself. But I, you know, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't particularly stumble over the comment just as a you know at face value that John's baptism baptism was insufficient. Uh, no, they say it didn't have the same effectiveness. Yeah, well, even that in because... and of itself, I'd I'd be a I'd be okay with, well, effectiveness for what? So, you know, if, if, if John's, John's baptism is effective for preparing people for Christ. Yeah, know. I think, I think as, uh, the Reformed response would be something like this, that in the Old uh, Testament, under the covenant of grace, no matter what the administration of the covenant of grace were, uh, uh, was, the, the various sacraments of the covenant of grace under those Old Testament administrations would be effective as the Holy Spirit applied Christ and his benefits to the Old Testament believer. 
So the reformed person doesn't have a problem because they see continuity. The Catholic person is a big problem because they've got all these categories about when ex opera operata can kick in because the Holy Spirit hadn't yet been given. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get, I, yeah. I would, I, I think that that absolutely for, for circumcision, you know, but John's baptism is a unique place in salvation history because he's the We'll forerunner. have to do a separate podcast on yeah. John's baptism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So carrying on. Uh, the next thing that makes you a heretic is if you believe that water is not necessary for baptism. Mm. So you're anathema if you believe that. And uh, that's because there were, there were certain uh, heretical groups that said, well, if baptism in the fire is figurative, then surely baptism with water is also figurative. And so that's, that's what they're reacting to at the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyone who says that the Roman Catholic Church does not tr teach the true doctrine on baptism is ah, anathema. Okay. <laughs> so okay. any so that would what mean anything other than ex opere operato, baptismal yep. regeneration. If you deny the Roman Catholic teaching as the biblical teaching, you're out. Mm -hmm. If you deny that the baptism by heretics who follow the true form is not true baptism, you're out. Wait, so if you, want to re if you want to rebaptize someone that was baptized by a Muslim using the right words, okay. you're out. So, so this is the, but I don't get this. Nick, explain to me how it is that they would have a, a say to a priest that he's not truly baptized. If he's been baptized by a priest, but he just said, we baptize instead of I baptize. Yeah. I, I wonder what part of the Catholic church that may be from, because maybe it's, old the old catholicism or some other right i don't, I, I don't have okay. all the the, the no. background to that one so I'm just really so i can't comment on it because, no okay for yeah enough, based yeah. on what i've read i, I thought oh that's maybe it's one of the splinter sects or one of the okay one of the little okay. small interest groups that has their own particular way of viewing things all right so next one that baptism is not necessary for salvation if you believe that you're a heretic next one that a baptized person cannot lose grace no matter how much he sins except for the sin of unbelief and that those who are baptized are obliged only to only to believe but not also obey the law of christ so let's let's go over the first part mm -hmm. a baptized person cannot lose grace no matter how much he sins so the reformers basically said that the, the main issue is the problem of a lack of faith mm -hmm. you don't lose grace that needs to be restored through penance yeah whereas if you deny that you know, they're coming at you. Um, and then the second thing they say is this, uh, that those who are baptized are obliged only to believe, but not also obey the law of Christ. And they're there targeting any antinomian doctrine, which depending what they mean, we would agree with. If some people say this, all you need to do is believe and not live a life of holiness and you'll be mm -hmm. fine. We would say that's not true faith. Mm -hmm. So at that point, we can have a, a measure of, of overlap and agreement there. Yeah, so you do, you do sometimes wonder if, um, you know, that, that typical uh, uh, Roman Catholic sort of um, the propaganda against the Protestant of saying that, oh, he's just saying that now that you're saved, you can do whatever you want. There's no, there's no need for holiness. Holiness is not important. They're just trying to justify their own desire to have sex and, and things like that. You know, you that all that propaganda against the, the Protestants, you kind of see that still hasn't entirely gone away here. They still have no. a view where they think that's what Protestants are, are getting at. Um, Best way to overcome your enemy is to make a straw man out of him. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's sad, isn't it? Because you kind of wonder, had they truly engaged with what the reformers saying, could we have gotten, you know, a little bit further maybe, or, or, or lessen the severity of, of some of the yeah. circumstances of the reformation. But yeah, it's, it, it is a sad thing in and of itself, but, but just go back to the first point for a moment. So, um, uh, a baptized person cannot lose grace no matter how much he sins except for unbelief. Yeah. So, so I mean, they're just coming at it from their own particular perspective. They're picking yeah. on a little thing which no one actually ever believes. And right. they're just reaffirming their own worldview. So that, that's not really... But at the, on, the, on the other end, you know, that is... If you do lose grace because of your sin, then who's saved? You know, <laughs> well, exactly. That's why you need. It's the, the heart of the gospel. The yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it is the it's it's the heart of the problem because they're saying they're saying because you do uh, lose grace, you have to keep getting it back again. But yeah, that really does destroy any hope of someone for someone like me, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Next one. The baptize, if you say that the baptized person is not obliged to observe, observe all the precepts of the church unless they choose to, you're anathema. So this is in particular baptism and submission to the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the question. So they're, they're, they're putting themselves into the position of authority. And if you say the baptized person doesn't have to submit to the church, you're out. Um, next one that all sins committed after baptism are rendered forgiven or venial by a remembrance with faith of their baptism received. So that's probably an attack at Luther. So, you know, right. Go on. What did Luther so, uh, say? if you, if you, if you basically believe that, uh, just by looking back to your baptism and remembering with faith, what Christ has done for you, those, none of those sins become damning sins. They're venial, not, not, not the bad, not mortal. Uh, right. Right. Which is the yeah. way they would perceive Lutheran theology to be uh, articulating things. Okay. Okay. Right. That uh, baptism should re be repeated even for those who became infidels before witnesses who returned. So let's say you became a Muslim mm -hmm. in front of a whole mosque and renounced Christ. And then you came back to Christianity. Would you rebaptize that person? That's an interesting one. The yeah, Catholic church no. says, if you do, you're out. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I would though. Would you? Well, uh, it would depend on the nature of their, their yeah. announcement because yeah, if guess. they, if they were never truly born again and their first baptism was not um, an expression of their own faith, then we would see their repentance as their first return. Right. Yeah. It would certainly so we, be we hard know, to see how so err on the, side the spirit. Of, could, could we would that. err on the side of rebaptizing. They would err on the side of not rebaptizing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you believe that baptism should only be practiced when one is the same age of as Christ was baptized or just before death, you are anathema. Wait, so, that okay, so that's, so, <laughs> so if you should only get baptized at the age of 30 or just before you die, if you believe that you're anathema. Okay. So anathema someone dies. somewhere believes that. Yeah. Someone somewhere believes that. <laughs> okay. If you believe that because infants cannot exercise their own faith, and uh, should either have their baptism delayed so that they can believe themselves or repeated once they believe, you're anathema. Ooh. So that's all Anabaptists being picked on there. Mm. And then uh, they also pick on Erasmus's view. 
in Erasmus's view went something like this, that baptized infants who later do not want to ratify what their sponsors had promised in their stead at their baptism. In other words, if someone doesn't want to go through confirmation, that they can merely be left to their own wills with no force by penalty to lead the Christian life and that they should only be deprived of the Eucharist until they reform themselves, let that person be anathema. So if you want to allow a person to have free will, if you want to allow a person to have freedom of conscience, so that if they're unsure about whether they should reaffirm the promises of their sponsors in their confirmation, and you, and you, and you don't feel obliged to force them, that's bad, which is what, that was Erasmus's view. Huh. <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that's that's point one of sixteen, the statement of the but, doctrine. But you know what? Seeing seeing how many crazy views on baptism there were, kind of does help me to understand a little bit why they're clamping down so tightly. Because, like, you know, they're just basically fending off 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 lots of stuff that is that is. Yeah, ridiculous. there were some Looney Tunes. Yeah, and yeah. so you know, the, the reformers are getting caught in the crosshairs and in the crossfire, but. Um, uh, you know, so there's, they're definitely lumping Reformed theology together in that category of wacky, wacky stuff. But at the yeah, same time, like I do get it, you know, if I reckon if, if everyone, if all the other churches in Felix, though, were, were, were saying stuff like that, you know, then I would also be saying, no, no, no. You know, I'd be tightening up my view and saying, look, this is the right view. But uh, yeah, uh, the diff yeah, it's just obviously they landed on the other side of that one. Cool. So the second point is etymology of the mm. word. And here it's, it's pretty standard. There's nothing, there's no major deviations here that the word baptism is derived from bapto or baptizo. It means to wash or immerse. And I think if, if as I've listened to their view, it seems that wash is really the, the key thing that, that comes through, but yeah. they, they understand the Bible uses the term literally and figuratively. So the metaphorical use can be found in places like the giving of all the baptism of the spirit, Acts 1 verse 5, or Christ talking about his own baptism that he's about to undergo, Luke 12, 50. Uh, when the word is used literally, it could be applied to Jewish washings, John's baptism or Christian baptism. And when describing the sacrament, it signifies the sacramental washing by which the soul is cleansed from sin at the same time that water is applied to the body. And so, the synonyms that they acknowledge for baptism would be the washing of regeneration, illumination, as it's expressed in Hebrews 6, the seal of God, the water of eternal life, as in paradise, and the sacrament of the Trinity. So these are some of the ways they talk about it. And then they, they talk about the word christen, where christen is often meant for baptism, but technically to make one a Christian is the effect of baptism not baptism itself. So technically, although at a popular level, they're used uh, as metonymy at a technical level that they, they aren't equated. Yeah. I'm sure there's a technical reason for that. <laughs> All right. So third point definition. So here's a definition from uh, the Roman catechism. Baptism is the sacrament of regeneration by water in the word. Mm-hmm. Here's a, a definition from Aquinas. Baptism is the external ablution. Now that word ablution is going to come up over and over again. That's the washing element we, we mentioned earlier. Baptism is the external ablution of the body prescribed, uh, sorry, performed with the prescribed form of words. The words being, I baptize thee uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Um, later theologians distinguish between the physical and the metaphysical aspects. And so the physical aspect is the water in the words of invocation. And the metaphysical would be the effect of regeneration. Now, baptism alone is seen as the sacrament of regeneration. Penance is a resuscitation, but not a resurrection. So, mm -hmm. so out of all the sacraments, baptism alone is the sacrament of regeneration. Baptism alone confers the beginnings of spiritual life and transfers one from enemy to adopted. And what you'll, what you'll realize is we, when you and I talk about the doctrine of adoption, is that a forensic or a transformative category? We would understand it to be a forensic benefit that we receive by faith. For them, adoption happens by this water. It's conferred by the water. It's conferred by the activity of baptism. It's conferred by this sanctifying grace that's imparted to you. So a quote, baptism is therefore the sacrament by which we are born again of water and the Holy Ghost. That is by which we receive in a new and spiritual life, the dignity of adoption as sons of God and heirs of God's kingdom. So it's, it's just a definition in keeping with, with the way they're approaching everything. Yeah. And again, it's a lot of that. If you were talking about baptism, um, in, in a different context, you know, if you were talking about, if you were in a, a reformed church somewhere and you were talking about how baptism implies those things or, or is a symbol of those things or a sacrament of those things, it, it would be okay. You know, none of those things would be, be outrageous statements. It's only the statement that those things are conferred through baptism. Um, Ex opere operato. Yeah. Okay, uh, types. Fourth category is baptism and its types. So circumcision is a type of baptism called mm -hmm. baptism in blood to distinguish yeah. it from, the, from washing in water. By circumcision, one was incorporated into the people of God, made a partaker of the messianic promises, reckoned a child of Abraham, given a name. And uh, another type would be the various purification rites given by Moses. Um, so uh, everywhere there's water, and I think this is because of their fourfold uh, hermeneutic Mm -hmm. uh, the way in which they read scripture, wherever there's water, there's baptism. So the Red Sea, the flood, the washing of Naaman, the spirit over the waters, the river in paradise, even the blood of the Passover lamb and the pool of Bethesda. These are all types because they're water. Um, <laughs> but, and that's, that's based on their, you know, the fourfold meaning of every. Text. Yeah. What was it again? It's the uh, literal sense. Oh. And then you got the kind of ana pedagogical, ana pedagogical, anagogical, <laughs> And then the yeah. spiritual or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. There's one more. All right. And then um, here's the most interesting part. Mm -hmm. Types are also found in the religions of the pagans. So anytime you see washing in Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, these are also types of Christian baptism. Now that's because of their view of, of natural theology and general revelation. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think it, it's probably also picking up on so the, i noticed in the you know and i'm no expert on the on the catholic catechism at all but the I, I noticed as i was reading it through that the seed language is used a lot with typology as well so like a type is a seed of of something else and i was yeah. thinking about maybe if it's trying to tag on to the kind of you know justin martyr's thing about how you know in in pagan was it Justin Martyr? Am I getting confused? Where in pagan religions, there was like the seed of the gospel. Um, yeah. and, and every, you know, in, in all people, there's this, this kind of spark or seed of, of, of the truth. And I wonder if that's what they're getting at 
if it's some kind of throwback to Justin Martyr and that whole idea. Yeah, there's the lines are just more blurry because of their inclusivism, mm. because of their natural theology, and because of their ability in the human mind, as it's not just that affected by sin that they can even be taught from general revelation things relating to salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, where we would say, you know, maybe there's a basic instinct, they would just go further than we would go at that point. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, then they, so the closest types of uh, washing to Christ washing would be the type of John the Baptist, the precursor. Uh, but John's baptism did not confer grace as John himself said. Now this is, this is how they're handling scripture. Uh, I'm not going to baptize you with the Holy spirit. Christ is therefore my baptism has no effectiveness. Only Jesus does. So that's how they take it. And it's, that's obviously referring to Pentecost and not to mm. the spirit conferred in baptism, but that's right, just their bad yeah. hermeneutics that's coming through. And then I mentioned earlier that Augustine claimed that it was the repentance and not the water that conferred the grace um, because the Holy spirit hadn't yet been given. Um, and Acts 19 is used as a proof text, but we would, we would argue that it's used badly at that point. All right, then we have the institution of baptism. Now, this is a, here's a question for you, and I guess we'd want to put it to our, our uh, Peter Baptist Reformed Brethren as well. When was the sacrament of in, uh, baptism instituted? Mm. We know when the Lord's Supper was instituted. It was at the Last Supper, just the night before Christ was arrested. When was the sacrament of baptism instituted? What would you say? Um, off the top of my head, Great Commission, thinking, go and baptize. Okay. So you don't think that Christ gave a command to his disciples to baptize before then? I don't know. Uh, I, I, don't know. I, I have a feeling like yeah, you, it's a, like it's you a tough do one. think that. <laughs> what, what are you well, thinking he, of specifically? Well, uh, it's, it, here, it, it's, it's a great difficulty because we don't have a clear moment of institution. We just don't. And we can't argue from silence. We do have a clear, we do have clear examples of practice. So uh, John three verse 22 and 23, shortly after Christ's own baptism, Mm -hmm. as he goes out out on his own ministry, it already says, um, I think it's John four verse one and two, that Christ himself did not baptize, but his disciples only were baptizing. Um, So already at that point, he has offloaded the responsibility of baptism and is training his disciples in the practice a practice that they would have continued on. Um, Surely there was some fine tuning. The name of the Trinity was added. Uh, There's definitely uh, all nation aspect was added, not only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So there's some expansion to what originally seems to be in place, but uh, the expansion. uh, So the great commission, we wouldn't necessarily see as the moment of institution, just the moment of expansion. So, right. Uh, interesting. I, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know about that. I'm going to have to think more, more about this because I, you know, clearly we're, we're, we're seeing John's baptism functioning, functioning slightly differently in the whole uh, scheme of things. Cause again, I think what the disciples were doing is that they would, and what Jesus was doing was really the, was, was John's baptism, not baptism as we now know it today. So you don't think Christ was uh, baptizing people to be disciples of him? Well, I don't think he was. He, no, could, I mean, he wasn't but I baptizing think, into I his death, burial, and resurrection. Was John yeah. was doing that. So yeah. John, John's baptism was to prepare people for the Messiah. The Messiah's baptism 
at that point was doing that as well. But obviously you can't be baptized into his death and resurrection until he's died. And no, you can become, you can, if, if baptism is not only an identification with death, burial and resurrection, but it's also an initiation ceremony into uh, the role of becoming, it's an initiation into a disciple role. Yeah, but the two are intertwined, aren't they? I mean, you can't you can't become a disciple uh, unless you die and rise with it. So, so baptism is is has more than one one layer. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think the 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 reason why I'd hesitate to say that the the baptisms that were going on before that is just before the Great Commission. Well, the the reason why I think the Great Commission is is a is a is a is a good well. Is, is certainly a valid option in terms of talking about when did Christ institute baptism because he is at that moment risen. And so baptism now is uh, the commission to baptize is into the crucified and risen Christ. Whereas before yeah. you have what John was doing, which is like you say, preparing the house of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. But now that that has happened, fulfilled, um now there's, there's just what there's just one difficulty and we should probably have another episode on this but <laughs> yeah they had the lord's supper before christ had died as well so mm. the institution and the first partaking was prior to his death yes yeah that's true not after yeah so 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 the death is not necessary for the for the proper use um so what we're saying this, is that a, a sacrament is related to the event signified, but not necessarily in time. Is that, is that <laughs> in, relation like to the, the in relation to the institution, but not in yeah. relation to application? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a good point. Um, although, you know, well, let, let me, let me tell you what the Catholics believe yeah. and uh, we can, we can ruminate <laughs> on it uh, at okay. length another time. Good, so, good uh, they do wrestle with some of these things. And so here's one of their arguments from reason, as it were, because baptism is the doorway sacrament into the church. It should, it should have been instituted before the Lord's supper, which is a later sacrament. So they would, they would argue that it can't be the great commission. So therefore it should probably be before the institution. And um, they, they do note some of the early references that we've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on Wait, to Matter. So they're and... agreeing with, they're, they're saying that those baptisms were proper Christian. Baptisms in water, though not spirit. But they were, but the institute, so what they, what, they rec- what, what they would say is that Christ had instituted the uh, sacrament of baptism, mm-hmm. though it was only at this point a, a baptism in water, not spirit. Right. Hmm. So they, and if, if I remember correctly, I think they argued that they would have used the form Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah. Even they can though... do what they like, because they don't need any explicit <laughs> biblical, biblical data. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, obviously there's a tradition. Yeah. But we're not bound to the form in the same way that they are. They have no. to have that form of the right words in order for it to be effective. But let's come to the, the matter of uh, the issue of matter and form. This is their sixth point. Um, in the case of matter, they make a distinction between the remote and the proximate matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in, in baptism, uh, natural and true water would be the remote matter, and the proximate matter would have to do with the, the ablution, probably closer to what we would want to worry about when we're talking about mode. Right. Immersion, effusion, um, and uh, aspersion. But let's talk about the remote matter. 
This is interesting. So this is stated against those who say that water is not necessary mm -hmm. and others who say that any liquid will do. Can you baptize in Coke? Right. Coca-Cola. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so basically they're saying, look, uh, what we would ordinarily call water is the only preferable thing. So salty water, fresh water, clear water, dirty water, melted snow, melted hail is all fine. Unmelted snow is not okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh oil saliva wine tears milk sweat beer none of these are valid mm -hmm. only that which is ordinarily called water there does seem to be an allowance in extreme circumstances where where there is absolutely no possibility of water for other substances to be allowed but it's mm. yeah what yeah. it's doubted whether that would actually be a baptism at all because right. baptism is the act of ablution by water. And so that's their basic definition. And it's a decent definition. Mm -hmm. um, all right, then uh, the proximate matter seems to correspond to what we call mode. And the reference here is to the action of ablution, which can take one of three forms. Immersion, infusion, infusion is pouring. It's the, it's the mm -hmm. middle English word for where you mix things together by pouring them together. And aspersion, which is not where you say bad things about people, but <laughs> the older uh, English sprinkling. So they say that immersion is held to be the ancient practice. And even up until late in the practice of the church, immersion was preferred. Hmm. But the main argument for allowing other practices are these, the inability to baptize those who are sick or dying by immersion, that household baptism could not be by immersion because of the lack of water, they say, though that's, I don't know how they make that argument. There could have been baths, fountains, all sorts of things readily at hand. Uh, and that some of the early martyrs were baptized in prison where they could not have been baptized by immersion. So given these things, that this is how they get around the ancient practice and the obvious meaning of the word baptism being immerse and uh, allow and actually practice other things. Right. So their authorized ritual that they now say this is what must be done is it must be the baptism must be performed by laving water over the head uh, when the proper way of doing it is not possible so that water is uh, water can be applied to a different part of a body in other words uh, maybe an arm coming out of a mother's womb that's in distress um, if there is no flowing water there is no real ablution so so as they stress what's important in mode where we would talk about you need to go all the way under the water they would say there needs to be something that looks like washing. So right. the water, the water running over a body part, right? Particularly from the head down. That's that looks like washing. Mm. So that's what it has to look like. Interesting. Um, so if you, so they, they have a few quali uh, qualifications here. Um, if the, if, if, uh, if the water only touches the clothes, but not the body, it's not valid. Right. If it only touches the hair, the hair is part of the body. That's valid. A threefold ablution is not uh, is ancient but not necessary. And uh, there is a, they do have a very interesting discussion where uh, the Fourth Council of Toledo accepted a single ablution against the Arians, who had a threefold ablution, a threefold uh, application of baptism, because they they wanted to stress the separate natures of the three people of the Godhead. <laughs> <laughs> so wow it's just I'm all just, these little things that they go through yeah yeah i'm just trying to remember where i um because i read something about this uh, last night 
and was surprised that it almost seemed to be suggesting, I'm just trying to, trying to scan quickly to find it, almost seemed to be suggesting that um, the kind of threefold doing it, you know, three times was the, was the preferred way, was the best way. So, so this article says that is the ancient practice, but right. it's not the required practice. Right. And yeah. so he just, he just talks about when uh, at one point in the history of the church, because the Arians were pushing a threefold view, the church pushed back with a onefold view to stress the, the, the yes. single nature of God mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the three natures. But yeah. that, that wasn't normative. It's just an example of when they, they may have changed their practice at one particular point. Right. Yeah. 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 All right, so that's, that's matter. Now we come to form. So form is, is the, the form of the words, the formula that's spoken. And here, the, the seventh point, conditional baptism, and the eighth point, rebaptism, all sort of merge together with form. So the required and only valid form is, I baptize thee, or a slight variation would be, this person, insert name, is baptized mm -hmm. in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, based on Matthew 28. Yep. The, the Orthodox service of this servant of Christ is baptized, is accepted by the Roman Catholic Church, and so is seen as a valid baptism. Those becoming Catholic from Orthodoxy are not rebaptized. If the word baptize is not used... Wait, would they rebaptize re anyone from Protestants? I'll get there. Oh, okay. <laughs> it depends, mm. but uh, I'll get there. If the word baptize is not used, it's not a valid baptism. If the Trinitarian formula alone is used without the word baptized, it's not enough. And so this all hangs on their view of ex opera operato. Mm. By virtue of the power of Christ's institutions, you've got to get the wording right so that the power can come through properly. If you don't get the wording right, there's no power. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, and I mean, it's, all... it's quick to dismiss, but you, I mean, the, it, seems, it seems silly to us almost pedantic and petty to focus so much on the exact wording. And, and I, you know, I, I do feel that way, but I guess you it's have essential to, and consistent. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I guess you have to remember that a lot of this was formulated, you know, pre pre enlightenment, whereas, you know, a lot of evangelical thinkers and theologians were at least influenced by the enlightenment. And so we had a kind of more rational, I guess, a more, uh, scientific, less mystical way of thinking about things. But, you know, a lot of this is formulated pre-enlightenment where actually the, the lines between science and magic were very, very blurred. And so you can understand how, you know, things like making sure that there's water and then it's done in the right way and the right words are said. This is basically the, the way they would do, they would do things, you know, whether it would be medical or scientific or magical or, you know, it was the ritual. It was the ritual that, that did it. And so yeah. you can kind of see the hangover of that or the influence of that. Um, you know, and it's very easy for us to think this is utterly bizarre because we're coming from a kind of post-enlightenment <laughs> point of view. But Yeah, well, I mean, they basically say this was the, the universal view of the early fathers. And yeah. uh, Ambrose said this, unless a person has been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, he cannot obtain the remission of his sins. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was the way they understood it. So you also have to say the word name and not names in the name singular, not the names plural. Um, that's, that's necessary. Accidental mistakes. So if you happen to misspeak, like I was baptized as Greg, um, that doesn't make the baptism void, which I'm very pleased about. 
Um, <laughs> Arians who used the correct form were not rebaptized, but those who deviated from the right form were right were rebaptized. So this is the example of not having to rebaptize heretics. Now, various councils ordered the rebaptism of those heretics who deviated from the biblical form. And there's a long list of various councils that said, we now order the rebaptism of this particular type of heretic or this particular type of heretic because their baptism was inspected and seen to not hold to the proper form. Right. Um, then they engage with those examples in the book of Acts that speak about how people were baptized into Christ in Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19. And they say that this is uh, not a denial of Trinitarian baptism, but rather an attempt on the Bible's part to distinguish John's baptism from Christ's baptism. So that's, that's their way of getting around it. So instead of loosening up and having other options for form, they tighten up on form and come up with a different argument altogether. Right. Yeah. Now let's come to the issue of um, what about Protestants? Mm. Yeah. If a convert's baptism is uncertain, so let's say we don't know how the Methodists baptize, or we don't know how the Anglicans baptize, we don't know if you would have been baptized properly or not. Um, then you get baptized conditionally. And so the form, the word spoken would be this. If thou art not yet baptized, I baptize thee, etc., etc. So that's a conditional baptism. So we're covering our bases <laughs> by saying, if you aren't yet properly baptized, then. And in that way, they're not undermining their own form, their own uh, necessity of form there. So the baptism of administered by Baptists, why is that so wrong? Well, here's the, here's the main reason. We utter the form before and not during the baptism. Oh, we Do say we? it to the person while they can hear, oh. while they're above water, and then oh, we put I them see. down. Oh, I see, and then you put them down. Wow, <laughs> but they're in it. the water at that point, though. Usually. <laughs> so you've got to do it while they're under the water, and then they would accept it. No. <laughs> so there you go. That's, Bapt that's Baptists. Oh Presbyterians, Methodists, and Anglicans. Who everyone does it like that, though. Like everyone who baptizes yeah. adults does it like that. Well, unless you do it by pouring. Ah, I see. <laughs> yeah, but there, yeah, okay. Wow. wow. <laughs> okay, so what about, and so this is, this is uh, a few pages out of the American Catholic sort of playbook. So Presbyterians, Methodists, and Anglicans who use sprinkling are assumed to have not allowed the water to flow over the body. So remember the whole thing of ablution and it has to look like a washing act. Mm. So it's assumed that it probably wasn't done properly. So a conditional baptism would be applied. Okay. And so this is a quote. The practical method of reconciling heretics with the church is as follows. If baptism be conferred, absolutely. So that's a baptism that is, we know we are doing properly and it's not conditional in any way. Mm -hmm. If baptism be conferred, absolutely. The convert is to make no abjuration or profession of faith, nor is he to make a confession of his sins and receive absolution because the sacrament of regeneration washes away his past offenses. So you don't have to confess your sin at a proper baptism because the baptism does that. Because confession is part of penance mm. and penance. This isn't, this isn't penance. We're doing baptism now. So we can't confuse the sacraments. Right. So don't confess yeah. your sins while you're being baptized because that's penance. Mm. We're doing baptism. Yeah, of course. That'd be, that'd be horrible. 
Yeah. But if his baptism is conditional, he must first make an abjuration of his errors or a profession of faith, then receive the conditional baptism. That's with the baptismal form, conditional form. And lastly, make a sacramental confession followed by conditional absolution. If the convert's former baptism was judged to be certainly valid, he is only to make the abjuration or profession of faith and receive absolution from the censures he may have incurred. So that's the playbook of how to receive a heretic back into the church. And that it's, means a Baptist um, and Anglican. It's something of a nightmare for me. <laughs> you know, it is something of a nightmare for me because just like having such a complicated list of things that you can do and can't do, I would just well, if, be the worst priest in the history of the world. I'd be doing the exactly. wrong thing all the time. I'd be putting people's salvation in risk all the time. That's, unless that's, you unless you totally bought into the ex opere operato thing, this doesn't make sense. But if you buy into, if you get the form right, then everything's yeah. okay. Yeah. If the form was performed correctly by someone else, then you need this and not this. But I'd also be like nervous if I was the one receiving the sacrament. I'd be nervous about the priest because I'd be like, "You better get this right, bro. Otherwise, you're you're wasting my time." You know, like yeah, it's um it's heavy. You know, like you're getting your kid baptized. Like, especially if it's one of those sort of emergency situations where the arm is sticking out the, you know, and, and you've only got one shot at this before something goes very, very badly wrong. And the priest says, we baptize instead of I baptize. And suddenly the kid's in well, jeopardy. You know? The intention of the parent to baptize at that point could also come into it. Could also come into it. Oh, my goodness. Baptism of desire. Yeah, we'll get to that later on. So we're about halfway. Okay. Uh, how well, much maybe now would be, yeah, I think now might be a good time for us to, to push pause because a, I think, I think, my goodness, there's a lot to get, to get our heads oh, yeah. around with the so strange, strange world. But also, um, um, I think that we're, we're at about time and, uh, it, it might be good to, to revisit this and come back and do the second half and give good time Definitely. to it rather than try and rush through it. But, but thanks Nick. Yeah, that was r super interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's like playing like a or watching a fantasy movie or playing like playing a video game where you just get taken to a new world for a while yeah know? totally there's totally different rules everything's different <laughs> but it's nice to be it's nice to be back in the real world again mm -hmm.